0: Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, this is the fifth episode of the year. I've been doing the podcast for over a year now, and I have a special treat. I have a special guest. We're going to have the fifth person that was ever on the podcast in 2019 coming back for 2020. So please welcome back Cheshire Plays Games.
1: Hey everyone! Guess who's back? It's me. I'm back again.
0: So I cast you for your buyback cost, and now you're back here again.
1: My, ba- my well my buyback cost would be two life. <laughs> Mostly just because I don't want to be broken. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I was just listening to uh, Mark Rosewater's latest uh, podcast episode, and he's talking. He's going. Uh, he's doing a deep dive on every single card that was published in Tempest. Remember that set? Mm-hmm. So he's really explaining, like, how they tried to not make cards so broken and have—actually, was it buyback or flashback? One of those two was in Tempest.
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure it was buyback, right? Because Tempest still had, like, the Weatherlight Saga tied into it, didn't it? Mm Yes. Yeah. So it was, like, capsize and stuff like that was around that same time? Exactly.
0: Yeah, he's going, uh, it's pretty interesting, he's going in Wooburg order through every single card alphabetically, and you know, his podcasts are usually about 30 to 40 minutes long, so it's a real interesting deep dive on those classic magic cards from our youth.
1: I, look, I, I miss sets like that, I'm not going to lie. Um, I guess things haven't changed that much even with the power creep, and yes, there is power creep, but mm-hmm. like... I, I miss the art more than anything. If you have a look at today's art on, like, the current Magic sets, I mean, what was it? It was, um, look at the planes from Mirage. has a zebra on it. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It's got a, a sorry, a zebra. Depending on <laughs> which country you're in. Um, yes. But, like, I miss, I miss that kind of art. I, I miss Phil Foglio's art. Yeah. Like, that really, like almost abstract but not like cartoony but very serious or just just such amazing art and and don't get me wrong art now is still fantastic but it's such a difference from old art Mm -hmm. that it's just like ah, just just some of that stuff like just get me back just get me back
0: Definitely. I totally agree. Like, yeah, Phil Foglio, Caja Foglio, Richard Kane Ferguson, Quentin Hoover, Margaret Oregon Keene, you know, all of these amazing, Mark Tadine, all of these amazing names that we can just, uh, just name over and over. So that obviously means you and I have got to do, uh, you know, an old Foggy podcast all about uh, uh, magic between 1995 and 1999.
1: Back in my day. Yeah. Well, uh, there was... Uh, I wonder if I can find it. Uh, who was it? Nene N- Thomas, mm-hmm. Underground River? Yes, it is. So, I want I want everyone to go back to Ice Age and mm-hmm. have a look at Underground River from Ice Age, and you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about with this, like, kind of almost abstract, just, it, it looks almost Japanese-flavoured, like, inspired oh. for that art. It's just such a gorgeous land mm-hmm. but yeah <laughs> hashtag old focus.
0: I pulled it up on Scryfall and it Ooh. like is yeah Ice Age is one of my favorite sets from back in the day not amazing with power and such although it did have these uh, pain lands Um, and, uh, just a lot of great, amazing art. And it has this great, uh, style to it, even though they weren't really doing a magic story per se, like we know nowadays, or even blocks. This was never even officially sort of any sort of block as far as I can understand, but that art is really cool. It's got that like Dutch angle and you can definitely tell it's a river and you got stalactites and, Mm -hmm. um, impressionistic to a degree and cartoony-ish but still realistic so yeah i miss that old art too even though the modern art is really really good um Mm -hmm. very polished but i i still uh get a, a great sensation out of this old classic art You know, we were just jumping in so fast into magic because, obviously, it's always on our minds. But I forgot to give you an opportunity to self-promote. Would you like to mention your streams, your Twitter, or anything at all?
1: I mean, I guess so. Um, uh, The stream, not so much. So I guess I should start with an explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, I still play Arena quite a lot. Uh, I haven't been streaming as much. Uh, I'm still part of the... Uh, the special streams when new sets are released and stuff, whenever Wizards uh, thankfully put me into their their streaming lineup, I guess you could call it, when a mm. new set gets released. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, we've backed away from streaming a lot because we're about to embark on something a little bit new with the channel and what we do. So you can find me at youtube.com forward slash CheshirePlaysGames. Uh, You will find deck tech videos from myself to do around mainly EDH and sometimes some standard stuff, Mm -hmm. um, but mainly EDH. Uh, The other thing is that the reason that we're taking stuff away from streaming is because we want to focus more on the quality of stuff that we're doing. So Mm -hmm. my deck techs are very basic and very easy. I'm just literally doing physical deck techs, Mm -hmm. showing people the cards physically because the production value required on making a deck tech versus the amount of views doesn't really line up at this point. So with those, we've backed away fully. uh, And when I do preview cards, you're going to get a fully edited professional video Mm -hmm. uh, like you've seen from my previous preview cards. But when it comes to things like Commander, of the Gathering, when we're doing uh, Brawl or Commander or Draft or Standard, we're actually going to be doing that offline, recording it, and then mm-hmm. we're going to be editing it up to try and make it more professional so it's a better product.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it is going to be longer to come out, but hopefully we'll basically attract more people. We'll be doing a better job at what we're doing uh, because we love playing Magic. We absolutely love playing Magic, but we've got to look at where we're focusing and, and where we can be different from mm-hmm. other people. Um, and the main thing is, and I think everyone, you know, may remember from the last time I was on the podcast, we were really hard pushing on Arena because Wizards wanted everyone to really push hard. And then you've got, like, you know, thousands of streamers doing Arena. And it's it's hard for somebody to, uh, to get out there. It's hard to get noticed when you've got a 1,000 or 2,000 other streamers yeah. streaming Arena unless you've got a thing, a quirk, mm-hmm. a, a hook, a pull. And unless you are somebody who's playing on the Pro Tour or writing for Channel Fireball uh, or commentating for you know TCG Player or SEG or one of those, unless you're a player who's known, it's very hard mm-hmm. for the common player to be able to get that recognition, especially being in Australia. So we're kind of backed off that to go, all right, well, let's reassess our situation. We can be one of the premier uh, magic content creators in Australia and work from there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, of course, Australia being on a different time zone as well really messes with everything because we both have you know, full-time jobs. Um, Caitlin works from home as a dev. Um, so she does a lot of programming and code work, mm-hmm. whereas I work for a Fortune 500 company, which is not nearly as impressive as it sounds. <laughs> uh, I only get 62K a year in Australian dollars, not US dollars. Mm-hmm. In US dollars, that's probably about 45 to 48K mm-hmm. a year. So uh, it's one of the things that we have to take into account that we don't have all the time in the world to do everything we want to do at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that totally makes sense. You know, you're, you're very right about that, that there's just so many voices out there. And the great thing about, okay, the, the YouTube or the internet or whatever is that we all have a voice, but then you have to have perhaps a louder voice or you have to have a more interesting voice than others. So I totally understand that about wanting to focus more on uh, quality than quantity. That's what it sounds like. So, mm-hmm. um, how is it going so far? So is it, is it like in, in the planning stages or are you still going through um, like some of some of that change?
1: We're going through the change at the moment. Um, so we're still in the planning stage. Uh, we do have a special draft recording that's being supported by Wizards. They're sending us some products to, to do a community draft with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is uh, just, well, I, I don't know when this is going to come out, but it's in a couple of weeks time. But uh, that will be out hopefully by the end of February. Um, Mm -hmm. We want to obviously try and get it out as fast as possible, Um, especially considering that what we're doing is, instead of asking Wizards for a full box, we basically just said, look, send us four pre-release kits, Mm -hmm. because six boosters in each pre-release kit means three boosters per person, which means we can do an eight-person draft. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of wanted to do that, and Wizards were like, hey, cool, look, we can do this, but... Um, we want you to sell the idea on the pre-release kits and out of the pre-release kits, you're going to get those pre-release codes for Arena. So Mm -hmm. help us push the codes out. I was like, yeah, that's cool. No worries. That's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, uh, again, it comes down to Australia doesn't get a lot of opportunities. So we want to do things right um, so that Wizards don't feel let down or cheated or anything like that. They feel that... You know, Australia really wants to push that mark. We really want to make that dent. Um, It's really hard trying to penetrate an Australian market when the market isn't really there. We don't really have a way to reach the levels that Americans can reach. Mm -hmm. So if we go to recording instead of streaming, then maybe we can release it at the right time. We can put something up on Reddit. We can try and get more recognition that way.
0: Mm -hmm. A more polished product yeah that makes yeah with a more
1: sense. targeted approach
0: mm-hmm. so this episode by the time people hear it which will be today which is january 31st um, pulling back the curtain, we're recording a little bit earlier than January thirty first. Um, I don't
1: know what you're talking about. We're absolutely <laughs> recording on January the thirty first.
0: Exactly, and it's you know Saturday for you, and it's Friday for me, and all. Of that. Yeah, don't worry about it. It All works out. Internet time, it doesn't even exist. Don't worry about it.
1: That's um, right. I'm in the future, regardless. <laughs> yes.
0: So <laughs> definitely, your uh, your timeline and all of that is 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 how you explained it, yeah, the, uh, by the end of February and such. So, yep, this is going to be the fifth episode of the year, which will be, well, that's interesting. We've got five weeks in January. I hadn't really paid attention, but yeah, uh, January 31st mm-hmm. will be on the fifth week of January. You are the you were the fifth guest back on the old days, of the last decade, January 2019, and now you're the fifth guest on the first, uh, you know, year of the new decade, 2020, in the far-flung future of the year 2020. In the first
1: month but on the 5th week 5 oh. for 5 <laughs>
0: <laughs> so thanks for sharing what your status is on on all of that um let's talk a little bit about well what has come before to get us to the point now um 2019 in general even though the podcast focuses on magic arena it's all about all magic so like the first big idea to talk about is how was your life in magic in 2019 you know general thoughts on playing Mm -hmm. paper playing magic or anything like that
1: 2019 was was interesting we got a preview cut obviously Mm -hmm. uh we did a live stream for that that was pretty cool uh that was interesting because we tried something different which was we tried an actual live stream for the card reveal and i don't feel like the quality of that was up to my usual standards Mm -hmm. um we did it was something that we wanted to try um I had a conversation with our local rep about that as well, who said, no, I thought it was fine. I was like, well, I, I, I appreciate that, however, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I just felt like the lighting was off and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I like doing fully edited videos for that. So that was pretty exciting, getting another preview card. I think that was number three, personally, number four that I've been included in, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. Uh, again, being an Australian, mm-hmm. <laughs> an Australian content creator, getting any preview cards is, is real amazing. Um, mm-hmm. we reached over 700 subscribers, uh, on YouTube, which was nice. I was trying to aim for a thousand, which wasn't really an unrealistic goal, but I mean, I think we started the year out at 560 and we ended up, ended up at like 703 mm-hmm. by the end of December. I think now I'm up to like 713, which is nice. Mm-hmm um we 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 went to magic fest in brisbane um earlier this this year this year was that just before christmas or just after christmas Mm -hmm. just before christmas wasn't it i think it was before christmas anyway um yeah that was 2019 good that was interesting because it's the first time that i have specifically gone to a magic fest slash gp uh, with the specific intent of A, playing with the community, but also B, playing Competitive Commander or CEDH. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Channel Firewall didn't actually have any events for CEDH players. No. Which really misses the mark and shows that, that, that a voice needs to be there, a voice of reason. So originally they weren't going to even be doing uh, the... Uh, the the command zone? Mm-hmm. Not the command zone. What do they call it? Because they have the command zone, which is their special thing, but then they also have the commander area that they set up with.
0: I the... think that's the name for it. It's just kind of generic. That's what I've heard it as command zone. Well, there's,
1: there's one that is the special one that they hold that has like special personalities. And mm. then there was the one they held here, which wasn't technically a command zone or whatever. That, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they basically decided to put the event on because we pushed for it. We were like, hey, we want that foil of soul ring. Um, yeah. We will come. You know, people will come for this uh, because Commander's really big and everyone really loves it, but you guys got to push through and show people that there are events on for Commander players. So, of course, Commander players descended on Magic Fest Brisbane only to find out that all of the events planned Uh, The Commander fanatic package was only for EDH, casual EDH and not competitive EDH. So you had a bunch of competitive players who were co-mingling with the normal casual EDH players. And as we've all seen in recent weeks, uh, Shivan Butts uh, Twitter, that there's a bunch of CDH players going, we're not pub stompers, we don't like doing that, that's not what we're here for. But then you have a side of the community that is like that. Sure. That, uh, you know, that regular CDH players go, that's not a cdh CD- player. But those people playing those, you know, super pub stomp decks are going, yeah, we are CDH players. Mm. But the problem was that if Channel Fireball didn't realize the market for having CEDH and just thought, oh, they just want Commander, we'll just do Commander.
0: Mm-hmm. Didn't differentiate. So, I mean,
1: yeah. Hmm. So, the problem there is the fact that, like, uh, it's 2019, it's before, just before the big article comes out about how Wizards recognize that Commander is absolutely the biggest seller of magic, Mm -hmm. not competitive magic, you know, it's all around kitchen table, and then setting up an event at a magic fest for Commander in general, but not including CEDH, Uh, queues is a really big problem because then you have people locking out the table on turn three or turn four because Mm -hmm. their you know, tuned awesome deck is just going to lock you out. And that's, that's what we experienced. Oh, wow. So it was just one of those things of like, I think that they could have done better.
0: Well, do you think that was sort of like a live and learn thing? And when it happens again, hopefully it'll go off without a hitch.
1: I'd like to believe that. However... There was not, there was not a face to face contact for us at Magic Fest Brisbane. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was no one that we could really give the feedback to, Mm -hmm. other than like posting it on Twitter, which, as you can imagine, it's not always the best way because then people are gonna chime in and go, well, sure, maybe you should have thought about that. Maybe you should have arranged with you know other cdh players. It's like, well, that's not the player's responsibility Yeah, Um, because when we did supply that feedback the person at channel fireball who was manning the twitter at that stage was like uh oh well i mean you know at the end of the day because every uh every event for commander has a pooled prize you can just figure out how you want to do those prizes for everyone and it's like well no that's not the case because You're randomly matching us with other people. You're not telling us that we can just get four to a table and play that way. Mm -hmm. We're putting our names down and then you're basically pulling them out of a hat off a list to just randomly play with a table. So you're not actually giving people the opportunity to separate themselves between casual and competitive EDH. So saying that the players can work it out for themselves is just kind of like... Now we don't we yeah. don't and I know they care, so before anyone says anything, but it feels like no, nah, we don't care about you, go away, mm. you go and do your stuff and you work it out because we don't want anything to do with it. It's like, well no, you have to do this and you have to figure it out because you're gonna lose casual players because they're gonna go, Well, yeah. screw this, I don't wanna be pub stomped and then you're gonna lose competitive players cause they're like, Well I'm not here to pub stomp people. The only people that are benefiting are the people who are pub stomping who are going, well, my deck did what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm happy. It's <laughs> yeah. like, well, no one else is happy at the table, dude. Like, <laughs> no yeah. one
0: else. Now, I don't know if this is any sort of avenue to take, but I've noticed uh, Mark Rosewater mentions, um, there's an email that I've got at the end of my article. Send me an email, and then I'll try to pass it along to the right person. So again, I don't, like, I don't know how much sway he has at Channel Fireball or anything like that, but you possibly send him an email there. Who knows? You Maybe an
1: avenue. You see, there's two problems there. The first one is that uh, Mark receives so many emails that there is really no point in passing through an email unless the subject is literally, hi, please pass this to Channel Fireball. No, sure. Now, I know people in Channel Fireball. Um, I do talk to them on a semi-regular basis, and I've tried getting that point across as Mm -hmm. well. The problem is when it's like, oh, that's actually not my department, I will pass this through for you. I don't know what's going to happen. And then you never get any feedback. So you Mm. don't know, you know, the person probably passed it through, but did it just get binned? Did somebody just go, yeah, whatever dude, and bin it. You know, so you don't don't have that feedback. And if you don't have that feedback, then there's really no point in doing it because you're always sending that that information through and then getting next to nothing back. Mm. Trying to put it through other Wizards people, such as we have our own rep here in Australia, uh, is, oh, just email this email address. Hmm. And it's like, well, that's fine. And I understand because, you know, it's it's not a wizard's problem. It really isn't. Yeah. But Channel Fireball need to be the ones who actually respond to those criticisms and go, all right, well, how can we do this better? You know, rather than just like at the last minute going, oh, you, want, you actually do want EDH stuff? I can see that you and your, you know, 20 other people who are tweeting at us now Actually, want EDH? Well, okay, I guess we'll do it. And it's like, no, that should have been part of the plan for every Magic Fest, mm-hmm. especially for an Australian Magic Fest that we only get once a year, mm-hmm. if that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're hungry for it. We're absolutely hungry for it. That's another problem with Magic Fests here as well is that you will see that other Magic Fests always have like special guests and stuff like that. Sure. We don't have that kind of pull in Australia but also we don't have Channel Fireball wanting to make that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and rightly so, it's not really worth their time. Uh, I was a special guest in 2018 and 2019 at, at Magic Fest here in Australia. Um, the 2008 one, 2018 one, we did like spell slinging and stuff. The 2019 one here in Melbourne, uh, we were just, or well, early in 2019, we were just uh, basically doing our own thing. It wasn't really supported by Channel Fireball. They just basically gave us mm-hmm. a table and went, you can record at this table off to the side, go nuts. But that kind of showed Channel Fireball completely backing off and going, well, no one really knows who you guys are. And like, you know, we got some really good feedback that, you know, you guys were all courteous and mm-hmm. you know, everyone had a great time. But at the end of the day, this isn't doing enough for us. Yeah. On the promotional side of things, and it's like, well, I get that, and that's absolutely one hundred percent fair and correct. The same, the same time though, if we don't have that coverage, we can't get that coverage. It's kind of like a it's catch, catch twenty two. Yeah, yeah, where it's like, I mean, if you don't give us any promotion at all, we can't reach a larger audience. We can only reach the audiences we're currently reaching, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that we're trying, you know, Reddit. And we're trying different groups on Facebook and different American groups on Facebook and, you know, Canadian groups and Belgium and Germany and stuff mm. like that. Um, and it, it's it's just a tough sell for Australia because, like, America, it's easy. If you're a content creator, you can go and shake hands with the Professor and with Rudy and with all these, like, big yeah. personalities. And it's a cosplay and stuff like that. You can go and play with Shivan Butt and, and Sheldon Memory, you know, and... And uh, Josh Lee Kwai and all of those people, you can play with those people at a Magic mm-hmm. Fest. We can't. We have no access to those personalities. We only have access to our other players that we're constantly trying to get in. Like, hey, you need to support this. But mm-hmm. we can only do so much. Um, and it's—it's it's, again, it's really hard. Like You would expect that uh, myself being involved in four different preview cards, being involved in uh, the old streamer showdowns that used to happen that people would know who i am nobody knows who i am Hmm. if if you ask 10 people you're gonna have maybe one or two of those magic players go oh yeah i know who that is the rest of them are gonna go i've never heard of this person why have i never heard of this person they got preview cards who are they (laughs) because again it's our responsibility to try and get out there and we're trying that but at the same time there's only so far we can reach so yeah,
0: unfortunately, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it? If you don't have an audience, you can't increase the audience, or so we can't increase the audience because we don't have the visibility, and it just kind of keeps going back and forth. You know, uh, my last guest uh, on last week's podcast was also mentioning kind of like uh, her displeasure with Channel Fireball. So I'm starting to see a pattern here. Do you think like uh, Wizards has a long-term contract with CFB? And if they do um that's not going to change very much is it it's not
1: going to change um i think that they do so there's two there's two thoughts to this so number one what's what's channel Fireball's actual contractual role uh is just to provide the tournaments uh it's to try and get bums in seats it's to run those tournaments mm-hmm. uh when it comes to that they know that they're going to get a certain amount of people in certain venues and they know that some content creators are going to get more bums and seats, such as, say, The Professor or Wedge. Uh, those people are going to bring in, you know, uh, more people because those people yeah. want to meet those people. Hmm. Unfortunately, though, it means that smaller content creators are going to be passed over. It's, it's just not worth their time. But it's, it's one of those things of, like, well, if you want to build up new content creators and, and start getting new content creators out there... How is that supposed to happen when those content creators are lost in a sea of content creators? Mm -hmm. Bit different for Australia, I guess, because we don't have that many content creators anyway. Uh, But same kind of problem where we're looking at, well, how do we get recognised? How do we get out there? We're trying the best that we can and we'll always have people telling us, like, but you're obviously not trying hard enough because you're not big and it's like well no we are we're absolutely trying hard as hard as we can but we can't push through that next wall and one of the things that i do see is sometimes you have a new content creator come along and they'll be boosted by somebody who's bigger than them yeah and and that's absolutely i'm not not saying that everyone should get a handout at all yeah. uh, it's something that's going to happen you become friends with people and somebody shares you out and then bam yeah not unlike streaming uh it's it's a luck game and that that's where you have to do this for the passion because you love what you're doing and that's why we do it it's not we want to be recognized by everyone but it's more we love this and that's why we keep going We're trying to get it out there more because getting it out there more would be great. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not just going to step away and go, you know what? This didn't work. I don't care. Yeah. Because I do care. And I like getting my videos out there. And, you know, my videos, I only get like, you know, between 100 and 1,000 views sometimes. And that's absolutely fine. You know, the one thing for me that I love is when somebody comes and comments on my video and says something about the video itself, like how they really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I actually had one uh, recently where one of my uh, strongest supporters came back about a Maze's End, Rain lost the Dragon Engine deck. And it's like, I actually won with this deck. This is a great <laughs> deck, I love it. It's so like nice and laid back for a deck, but it wins when it wants to. And I'm like, that's great. That's the kind of stuff that most content creators actually want to hear.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But going back to the Channel Fireball thing, I feel like it's not too much for them to have a couple of people spell singing, Like, have a couple of smaller content creators at your Magic Fest. You know, and it's not about, like, oh, those people need to be known. Not at all. It's about showing your community focus. Because if you show that you're focused on your community and helping your community, it makes you look better in the eyes of everyone Mm -hmm. out in the community, you know it's one of those things where uh, supporting your community makes you look better in the eyes of the community, which means that you're going to bring in more people, because more people are like I want to support your business I want to come and play commander or draft or standard Mm -hmm. or pioneer or whatever it might be because you're doing more to assist that community to help out that community and getting that community focus is really a problem that we've noticed in the past with other tournament organizers uh, we had one here called Chainlinks and they were horrendous <laughs> absolutely horrendous at what they do um, the The Magic Festival, back then it was still a, a, a Grand Prix, that we had here in Melbourne uh, in 2000 and oh god 5th, 14, 15 maybe mm-hmm. was like Oath, it was during Eldrazi winter anyway, um, <laughs> pairings were constantly stuffed up Uh, overbooking happened. People were sitting in chairs, shoulder to shoulder, quite literally, you know, almost unable to play games. Mm. You didn't have enough table space for even your playmat. So people weren't playing with their playmats, you know, and and all this kind of like crazy jank, no spare tables for casual stuff. Uh, no spare table for, and get this for media people. Mm. And at that time I was still a media personality. Um, we were drafting outside the venue, In a rotunda oh well because there just wasn't enough space inside the venue Uh, (laughs) so you know that that's 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 a kind of thing like channel fireball are better than chain links and they're probably I'm guessing 70 77 percent better than anyone who's run those major tournaments in the US previous to them which is why wizards have gone wizards have gone all right well you have a track record that's proven, mm. showing that you can run these big tournaments quite well. Yes, there's always going to be teething problems. Yes, there's always going to be problems. I mean, there's a, a Magic Fest that happened at, at the time of this coming out a couple of weeks ago that is completely and absolutely booked out. Mm. It's booked out. You know, that shows that Channel 5 Ball are obviously doing something right, but at the same time that push for content creators to to assist content creators, which Wizards are doing an amazing job at, Mm -hmm. but I feel like Channel Fireball are really missing the mark on that one.
0: I think they're, yeah, they're focused too much on, like, just the logistics of the event, but not all the ancillary things. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like they're not planting the seeds for that to bear fruit. Uh, Like you're saying there, it's just not enough of the support and maybe getting brushed off and such. So something's got to change. Hopefully if magic keeps getting bigger and bigger and in front of more people's eyes and people want to transition from the digital to the real world experience, something's got to change. Exactly. Um, along those lines of like, um, you know, content creators coming up and so forth, I I sort of also had, like, the goal to get to a 1,000 subs in uh, 2019, and I think I was very similar to you in that I started 2019 at about 500, and I don't know if you used that one website, socialblade.com, mm-hmm. have
1: you heard of that? Yeah, I use it all the time.
0: So I was <laughs> using that, and that was pr- that was projecting me that I was going to get to a 1,000 before the end of the year, and that didn't pan out for me. So it looks like there's a lot going on internally in YouTube, the algorithm. I don't know what's going on that I did see a definite slowdown. I remember like for several weeks at the beginning of 2019 and at the end of 2018, um, like, you know, that little YouTube counter would would say, you know, there were like 30 or 40 new 50 new subscribers. Um, And then that really trickled down to it tapered off to like 10 and 15 and such. And so I'm not at that goal either. And obviously, you know, numbers are you know, it's it's a popularity contest or whatever, but that that goal of one thousand, I I had it in my sights as well because that's also when it's worth it as a content creator that you get a little bit, um, a little bit of money off of that for even for your efforts. But it sounds like for both of us and probably for a lot more other people too, like that uh, elusive one thousand is still elusive.
1: Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Uh, with a uh, YouTube's made a lot of changes recently. Um, even before the, the big, what's it called, Aphra? APRA?
0: I think that was Copper.
1: Thanks, Copper, yeah. So even before that, there was a whole heap of, uh, really just ridiculous changes they made to the algorithm. So it meant that, you know, you couldn't find videos easy. I mean, even if you go back to, oh, when was it? Uh, Eureka, the Tiger Shadow, when that came out. I made a deck tech, and people actually couldn't find it in the search function mm. at all, despite using the keywords that I put in there. You know, wow. um, and that just says to me like the the changes that YouTube had made are making still are just not good. There's just so many issues with that. So it's I think it's just it's always changing, um, but that leads to less discoverability as well.
0: Yeah, it's like you watch one video on one topic and obviously the algorithm is supposed to surface more of what you might be interested in. But then it just gets too too narrow. Like I watched one video about how to make pickles, literally, and then now I've, I see just so many cooking videos. And it's like, well, I just wanted to see that one video. I don't really need to change my whole – I don't YouTube, I don't want to change my whole focus just to, to cooking. I want to keep it on magic and tech and stuff like that, comics. But – uh, that algorithm—that's another thing that needs that needs work. And it's surprising YouTube's been around what a, more than a decade, and they're still figuring uh, figuring it all out. It seems.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time now, hasn't it? Like fifteen years.
0: Yeah, quite uh, a while.
1: Fifteen years, I think.
0: Fun fact: the very first YouTube video was actually about uh, some kids visiting the San Diego Zoo. So right in my backyard, basically.
1: <laughs> well. Wow.
0: That's my claim to fame, that uh, I live in the city where the first YouTube video existed. <laughs> but your claim to fame, you know, uh, preview cards and all of that's very impressive. I got that one preview card that everyone got, that that one, a Johnny card. <laughs> so that was fun. But yeah, congratulations on that. And uh, hopefully in 2020, you continue to get some preview cards, get, make some cool content, reach out to more creators, uh, and keep the early access stream uh, event going on i was also invited to um to a few of them in in 2019 um so thanks Wizards of the coast uh, for inviting us on both of those um overall like uh when you try out those events what do you think in general about just getting this preview like some of the earliest people to try out the latest cards
1: i mean it, it's it's really cool uh we get to do it obviously before the general public which is uh, it also means that we can get, you know, the general public involved in what we're doing because they can tell us, you know, what cards they want us to use or what mm-hmm. decks they want us to use and stuff like that. So we can always put it out to them, like, hey, what do you want us to do? Mm-hmm. Which is awesome, you know. Like, this is a thing that wizards don't need to do. They could just stick this to just the high-level, you know, <laughs> content creators yeah. and just screw everyone else over and just go, no, we don't care. But they realized that, you know, it, it's, it's like, uh, what was, I can't remember who came up with it, but there was a whole thing, uh, there was a whole research done around um, content creation and uh, ads being done by well-known content creators versus ads being done by unknown. Mm-hmm. And people are more likely to trust the unknown than the known content creator, you know, in regards to like whatever product they are, quote unquote, trying to sell. Sure. Um, and I think wizards are doing the right thing by going. All right. Well, we can have a whole bunch of like high-level content creators, such as you know Merchant and the Professor and stuff, doing these these early streams. But we also want to include all of these unknowns because hopefully that will give them some coverage. Plus, it makes the the community go. Oh, well, you've invited all these cool community people as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that that also works quite well. I think
0: that's also. Perhaps in the realms of representation, if you see a variety of people, variety of skill levels, uh, variety of interests, just variety of people, someone says, I, I relate to, to him or her, I relate to what they're about, and um, I trust that Wizard is giving them access, so that's pretty cool, I'll go check it out, I'll be hyped for it.
1: Him, her, them, important distinction. Oh, sure, sure, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, advocate. (laughs) Of course, yes.
0: Uh, I do want to be inclusive, him her, them. Yeah, that makes sense. I've also got to work on my own, uh, you know, unconscious biases and such like that and just try to always improve as a person.
1: Mm -hmm. Even I forget sometimes, to be honest. Uh, It's it's one of those things. uh, And I'm looking to say, even at my age of 42... because I'm an old man, but I can sure learn some lessons. Um, my my partner is actually uh, non-binary, oh, so okay. um, drilling it into my head constantly that it's uh, that using they, them is the precursor here for the pronoun uh, rather than her yeah. uh, is, is one of those things that you have to completely retrain your brain to do if you're not used to it. Um, and it's now 2020. Should we be used to it? Well, yes. But a lot of people haven't had to handle uh, different pronouns yeah. for a long time. Um, and it's not something that's just happened. It's it's kind of been there for a very long time. Definitely. But it's now more pronounced than ever um, that we, we really need to be taking into account, you know, how people feel, uh, using our empathy mm. and making sure we're using the right pronouns when we can. Um, you're not always going to use the right pronouns if somebody corrects you absolutely switch sure.
0: yeah being open and empathetic definitely so mm-hmm. um like uh when Autumn burchett won the first mythic championship that was uh, a great moment there for a non- non-binary person being in the spotlight so uh, that's what i was saying earlier about the the representation for wizards giving uh, access to as many people as possible, like you were saying. Well, maybe not just the top level content creators or the ones with the biggest followers and names. Uh, a little bit of everyone, you know. Uh, when I was looking in that private Discord that we that we can't talk about, or you know, they, they won't invite us back. But um, the uh, I saw just lots of people there, and uh, from every from every walk of life and uh, skill mm-hmm. level and everything. So that's just amazing to be a part of that.
1: Exactly, and that really shows. Uh, it's funny because a lot of people want to bag on wizards for every little thing, but this really does show wizards and diversity and, you know, they might have a big corporate company underneath them Mm. or above them, depending on how you want to look at it. But at the end of the day, the staff from wizards are absolutely 100% trying to be all inclusive, which is why they've changed how they use pronouns on cards. They've started coming out with like, we need to tell you the pronoun of this particular character in mtg story yeah uh so that you know we don't misgender somebody like ashiok which is a they them mm-hmm. um rather than a, a he him or she her mm-hmm. uh, and that's a really big step forward for such a major company and i yeah sure it's in part probably pandering to you know certain certain diverse parts of of the community but at the same time it's not because it's really just them going well no, we need to do this and we should have done this a long time ago and now we're updating things to make sure that when we do things like this we are inclusive because representation matters.
0: Definitely and you you saw in still shadows of that even at the very beginning, even back on Alpha, they were still they were well, they were doing he or she but they weren't assuming the male pronoun even back then and obviously 25 years later they keep improving and being more diverse, which which is more people playing more magic, is more good. Bad grammar aside. Exactly. <laughs> so, final thoughts on Magic twenty nineteen? Uh, did you ever try out like any of those uh, fun events? Like, did you get to play with Black Lotus on Magic Arena?
1: I did. Uh, it's not the first time I played with Black Lotus <laughs> boxes, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, being, being a very old player. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I, it, a lot of people speculated that they would be bringing stuff like that back permanently, I don't think that that's the case at all. I do think that they will keep very, very powerful stuff like that as a kind of once-off for their events, I, I thought the events were pretty cool, but the Elspeth deck was definitely underpowered, whereas the uh, the Ashiok deck was definitely overpowered, mm-hmm. uh, which was a problem. Uh, especially when, you know, on turn three, I can drop a, a, a creature that you just can't kill that's too big for you, and it's just going to, like, smash your face in. <laughs> um, Sorry to
0: interrupt, but uh, I had a person on turn one playing the Elspeth deck... Um, do the shenanigans to bring out a Cavalier of Dawn on turn one with a Black Lotus and I guess a Mox or two. And so it can be broken with the right amount of variants and such. But yeah, I definitely felt the, the Ashiok deck was a, a little bit more, uh, a little stronger, especially with the, the little nightmares that it would make um, to, mm. you know, steal off the top of the deck.
1: I think, um, so there's a couple of, hmm, there's a couple of things that are yay magic and boo magic. <laughs> uh, so, yay, magic for finally bringing Brawl onto Arena! Boom, magic for making it a paid yeah. event to play all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the Brawler Days events, where it's like, well, why don't you just let us play all the time rather than just like, oh, you can, you can play all the time as long as you're just challenging your friends. Like, yeah. man, give us a cue, mate! Give us a cue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that introducing uh, the the introduction of Pioneer uh in in paper was really cool uh I think the introduction of historic on arena uh was certainly a head turner um because it's something completely different to what we were expecting uh the card choices in my honest opinion that that they were introducing were not the best mm-hmm. um because we were expecting like a certain power level, and instead we got stuff that was just kind of like average. Just like, yeah, it's alright, but you know, it's nothing special. Like you paint it up to be special, but it's not really. Yeah,
0: weren't they mentioning brainstorm perhaps worm yeah. coil engine?
1: Yeah, they were. They were saying that they were they were looking at bringing some pretty big stuff in, but that was their their kind of hook to it. It's like, sure, we might be bringing this stuff in at some point, and it's like, well. Uh, maybe if you had started with that. But mm. I mean, yeah. Like, I I personally still think that um, I'd love to see Commander, like actual Commander on Arena. I know that that's a lot of cards and it's probably never going to happen in that way. Mm. Um, but I think uh, Commander Light being Brawl, we, like, and I believe that Historic Brawl is uh, now a thing or about to be a thing, which is kind of cool, but. I was hoping that we would go back to uh, to Kaladesh and stuff like that to have those like older sets that were originally on Arena.
0: That's what I was about to ask you. Uh, what did you think about them not going back to the sets that are programmed into Arena? There's Kaladesh block yep. and there's Amonkhet block in there. And they stopped at uh, Ixalan for Historic and sprinkled it 20 cards that weren't amazing. But uh, why do you think they didn't go back to... Um, uh, to Kaladesh were people too tired of that dang Bomat career
1: I think that yes that, that is definitely a part of it there's a lot of cards in those sets or there are a lot of cards in those sets that are very powerful and I feel like maybe they wanted to try and avoid some of the backlash they would have gotten from that because there are you know a, a lot of very good cards you have things like uh, what's it called blooming ah uh,
0: Bloom, uh, Bloom Hulk, Bloom Gear Hulk, something like that?
1: No, the, the, the green card, the protection spell. Oh, um... De- Blossoming Defense? Sounds Blossoming. about right. Yeah. Anyway, stuff like that. Um, you had a lot of those kind of cards that were just a bit too good. Mm-hmm. Um, you had ways to, like very busted ways to get very big, scary things into play without having to do much effort. <laughs> um, but I think that ultimately, if they had have done it, a lot of people would have been a lot more happier. Like, yes, you would have had to have uh, banned a couple of cards. Like, Luda Scooter would have had to have been banned, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's way too good in every format. Um, I-, I just really think that they would not bring in those sets to kind of avoid any unnecessary problems for them. Um, I also think that they didn't want to test too many sets out, which also makes sense. Like, if you're doing a historic format for Arena, uh, and you've already progressed past those sets, it's hard to reintroduce older sets that you currently don't have in your quote-unquote collection, Um, because then you're talking, like, beta sets instead of release sets. So having to go back and put those old sets back into people's collections isn't going to work. And then you're going to have people complaining, well, why don't I have access to all of these cards? Because I had all these cards during beta. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, you didn't pay for those cards? Well, I know that, but (laughs) I had these cards on my account. Why can't I have them back? Or maybe that is another problem that bringing those sets in meant that it would automatically activate those cards because they were something that we're in your collection for the most part or for most people then trying to sell new people on that idea is hard because then the new people are like well jim bob has all of the cards why Mm. do i need to pay for the cards it's like Mm. well because if you want to play with them you're going to have to spend your wild cards and your hard-earned money getting them back and then it creates a whole big problem from that
0: you know, that, that's kind of obvious now that you mentioned it, but I hadn't really thought about it that, yeah, I was also playing back during the beta when the when uh, Amonket and Kaladesh Block were in there. And yeah, I did have those cards, you know, uh, uh, R.I.P., Anointed Procession and uh, Regal Karakal. <laughs> Cat deck. yes the thing was yeah that that's true we we if we were playing in the beta back then we had those cards and if they reactivated those cards would we get them back automatically or did have to repay repay for them and if we had to repay for them then people would have the backlash on that like well i had them originally and if we didn't have to pay for them again then it's like, well, now I've got to earn them again. So, yeah, Wizards, sometimes it's just cool to hate on everything that they do, and that's that's not cool. You know, the company gives mm-hmm. – obviously, it's a corporation and needs to make money and so forth, capitalism, whatever. But um, they seem to be listening to the community. They seem to be trying to walk this tightrope that there's sharks on all sides and um, – They, they, uh, I don't envy them, but, uh, in the end we get to play magic when everything works well. Exactly. So speaking of magic in 2019, we had several sets that entered standard. That was Ravnica, Allegiance, War of the Spark, Corset 2020, and Throne of Eldraine. But also in the world of paper, we had Modern Horizons and, uh, Uh, commander and uh, that sort of stuff so were there any sets that you liked that stood out that uh, you want to go back to the golden age when they were brand new sets from 2019
1: war of the spark was innovative amazing and problematic (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that was my favorite absolutely favorite set Of 2019. Now, props to Eldrain, which was thematically an amazing set, however, was kind of not great. Hmm. Uh, From a a limited perspective, uh, it was a solved format within a week, basically, where everyone was just, you know, you were either doing an adventure deck or you were trying to get a mill deck. And Mm -hmm. that was it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, especially when it came to Arena, it was just busted because of not drafting against live opponents and instead drafting against a terrible AI was just a horrible experience. Um, M20 was quote unquote fine, not the best limited, absolutely. Um, felt a little weird and slow Mm -hmm. for most of the points. Can't draft small creatures because you'd be blown out by the, the bow, the equipment card that was shooting things for one. Mm -hmm. So that made some problems. Uh, I feel like M20 was a bit of a disappointment overall. Uh, had some great pieces for Standard, but other than that, was kind of fell short of the mark. Uh, RNA was obviously a fine set. Uh, we didn't get uh, a payoff to Gates that we were thinking of in the form of Mesa's End. Mesa's End in Standard would have been really bloody cool, but Wizards decided not to go there for some reason. I would absolutely love to pick gavin's brain or somebody from wizards in regards to like why mazes end wasn't included because it's a cool win condition get out all the gates and win basically mm-hmm. but when you look at the sets that were there at the time the ways to get lands out i feel like the reason was probably because the winds would have come too easy for mazes end so they decided not to do it which mm-hmm. makes me sad Um, War of the Spark was probably the best one because of, obviously, the sheer amount of uncommon, rare, and mythic Planeswalkers. Mm. Uh, Abilities on Planeswalkers, I think, was really just a cool idea. The limited felt really fun and not too broken. Um, Obviously, we had some problems out of the set, which there's always going to be like Teferi. I think Teferi should have been banned in Standard uh, (laughs) 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 once they realized it was a problem. I I know that they were waiting for Dom, Dom Dominaria to like rotate out um, before they did anything. And then once Dominaria was gone, they were like, oh, it's not that big a problem, but it still was, (laughs) it still is to this day. I feel like Teferi is still too good an engine for a three mana Planeswalker. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people kept forgetting that Planeswalkers had abilities on them, which was hilarious, myself included. Uh, But it, it made limited really interesting and fun because you had to choose between uh, some other premium card for your deck or this really cool Planeswalker that only had tick-down abilities. Yeah. You know? Um, going back to Eldraine, the 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 draft format and the limited format itself felt underwhelming. Um, some of the cards that were put in the set were obviously way, way too good. Mm-hmm. And the power level of the set isn't as top-heavy as you would expect, it's actually very bottom-heavy. So it's not a very powerful set overall, but the things that are powerful were way too powerful like Oko.
0: Yeah, or even, like, getting a Gilded Goose turn one or being able to play the Once Upon a Time turn zero. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Like,
0: those enablers really uh, got the ball rolling in a variety of ways. So... When uh, when I played Limited uh, on Arena for those sets, I noticed that I was able to win all right. Like for me, all right is like five, five, three. You know, um, mm. best of best of one. That that queue, the ranked queue, and that was uh, for RNA and War. I was uh, you know five and three and such, maybe six and three once in a while. But when I got to M mm. twenty. And Eldraine, I was struggling to do like two wins, two to three, uh, for a long time. I was never even able to quite wrap my my brain around those, and um, I don't know if it was just the format itself, or I was just not getting the pieces that I needed and such, but I saw that shift in the limited environment between those four sets in, in 2019. Um, what about, you know, paper, anything outside of arena that uh, caught your attention?
1: I mean, modern horizons was fine, um, but it was overpriced for what it was absolutely Mm. overpriced for what it was. It felt like the attempt at a master set without actually making a master set, um, which goes back to the old drain problem of, you know, some very powerful top end cards, but mostly not, um, obviously Brennan six completely busted. Hmm. Two-mana Planeswalker, who would have guessed in a land stack? Hmm. <laughs> um, there was some some great reprints and stuff in it, but it just fell way short of the reprint mark. Uh, Commander 2019 was just a horrific mistake. Hmm. Um, and, there's, and there's something I need to preface here with. Uh, I, generally speaking, defend most Commander products because a lot of people look at it like... Oh, but what about the, the the returning player who's, you know, looking for all of these, like, expensive reprints? And I usually say, you know what? It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Like, if you've got enough powerful cards outside of the reprints, don't worry about it. It's all good. Unfortunately, with 2019, it felt like Wizards completely backing off power level hmm. and trying to go, all right, well, let's dumb it down a little bit. Let's, let's not do all these, like, whiz-bang reprints and stuff. Let's just try and make this product as friendly as possible. And Mm. it's like, ah, you kind of shot yourself in the foot there because you did all this travel stuff that you thought would be really good, uh, and it just wasn't. So, like, the flashback deck, you know, that didn't have enough flashback cards in it to make it a cool, innovative deck. It didn't have enough cool reprints. Uh, It was missing stuff that, you know, could have been key to the deck. And the the actual commander itself felt kind of underwhelming. Uh, The same with the Egg's deck, the um, proliferate Tokens deck. Mm. We've done token strategies in Commander to death. To death. Just, we're not interested. It's not a fun deck. It's boring. It has no cool tricks. It doesn't do enough. The Egg thing is kind of cool. But then that's one card out of the whole deck. So out of the whole set of those decks, you're looking at maybe five cards that are kind of really cool and powerful. And the rest of it was just kind of stuff that you're going to see popping up on bulk lists, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another part of the problem was things like Doomed Artisan, which was the preview card that we had, uh, which although we were amazingly happy to have the preview card, there were some issues with the art itself, the way that the art was portrayed and not enough discussion around the art beforehand. Um, So a lot of people took issue with the fact that you've got like this, doomed artisan who's sculpting the perfect pre-disability of himself, Mm. basically going, like, here I am fully formed in my artwork, Mm. and here I am missing my arm and having this robotic arm to help me, like, sculpt. And Mm. it's one of those things that, you know, then you had people talking about, like, well, there's an ableist problem here, and the art is problematic. It's like, well, I see both sides of this, and that's not really how it was intended. And then people were, cause, cause art is subjective and people were taking bias through the art, just going, well, he's not happy with who he is and he's pining for who he was before he lost his arm. And it's like, well, no, he's just trying to sculpt something beautiful. But then you have the flavor text of the card itself. And that also, you know, caused the sure. problem. Yeah. So I just feel like it's stuff like that, that maybe wasn't as well thought out as it could have been. Um, but as a whole it was a bit disappointing that the commander product was not as powerful as we were expecting the tribal wasn't as cool as we were expecting you know uh, i was expecting hopefully to have some sort of tribal ninja deck that wasn't a thing that didn't happen and it's like well not all of this stuff that you've brought out in these tribal decks are actually tribal you can't tell me that tribal is you know, flashback is tribal. That is not <laughs> a tribal flavor. That is yeah. a theme flavor. Yeah. That is a theme deck, not a tribal thing that happens. So I think that that uh, there was a lot of kind of uh, misconceptions, preconceived notions of what the deck should be, and they didn't leave, live up to that again, because as we remember in the year before with the Planeswalker decks, yeah. um, we also had the same problem with the Commander Planeswalker decks in the fact that, you know, Lord Windgrace was a really cool deck, but it wasn't a land deck and it was Builders. as this is a really cool land stack, and it's like, well no, it's a land fall deck, it has a lot of land synergies, but it's not a land deck.
0: That's what I was about to ask you about compared with 2018, because I think on twenty Commander twenty eighteen, that's the one I really heard a lot of backlash on, and maybe I just didn't pay too much attention about twenty nineteen precon, uh, but how would you kind of compare those two? Is is it is twenty nineteen definitely on a much lower power level than the twenty eighteen?
1: 2019 was definitely on a, on a lower power level, in my honest opinion. Um, mm-hmm. 20, 2018 was more powerful, uh, but I think it was more controversial in the way that it didn't live up to the hype that people had around it. So, you know, people had those preconceived notions about what the decks were supposed to be about, and they didn't end up being about that, such as, you know, look at the uh, Animatu deck, uh, where people were, like, expecting, like, a really cool Flickr Enchantment deck... And they kind of got like all these really cool things from the Planeswalker itself, and the rest of the deck was just kind of didn't feel really on theme. Mm. Um, Wizards thought it was, but unfortunately the general public had a completely idea of what that deck should have been, Um, and that led to a lot of discussion around, well, if Wizards think that it should be like this, then are they really part of the community? Are they paying attention to what's being played in the community, which... And, and I'm going to say this, I know that Gavin Verhey absolutely is 100% involved in and absorbing the community. Um, but mm. a lot of those notions that the community felt were being um, given incorrectly, such as the lands deck. And then they were calling out, like, well, if Wizards are playing with the community, who are they actually playing with? Because none of us call a lands deck a landfall deck, because that's not really how lands work. Uh, and the, the notion goes back to, obviously, legacy and formats like that and how those legacy decks and modern decks work with lands, such as scapeshift and things like that.
0: Hmm. Well, 2020, we're going to see a huge influx of Commander product. Uh, thoughts on that?
1: I'm excited and worried for my wallet. Rip. <laughs> um, Ik- Ikoria, 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 uh, the, the Commander set that's coming up, Giving me an option to be able to draft a commander set. Yeah, you've sold me absolutely. I actually, uh, I have a friend who's been working on a commander cube uh, for drafting, and the first thing I said to that friend was like, "Well, Iqori is coming up, so I mean, yeah, we can try out your cube and we can maybe do a video on it." But, I mean, at the end of the day, you're probably going to be retreading what Wizards are going to be doing sure. in a couple of months anyway. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that gets me excited, because how is that How is going to bloody work? Uh, you're telling me that, like, I need to choose, what, a commander straight up for my draft? Am I going to be getting, getting a commander with my packs to draft? Like, how is this going to work? How am I going to, you know, make a full 100-card deck for... Or is it going to be less? I assume that the rule is going to be probably a 60-card deck or something like that. And it's going to be, quote-unquote, Commander Light. Because, you know, not unlike Draft versus Constructed, where Draft is 40 cards yeah. and Constructed is 60 cards. And I'm thinking it's going to be something like that. So 60 instead of 100 makes sense. But the, the sheer thought of trying to choose, and it's going to have to all be multicolored Commanders having to choose a commander and then worrying if there's fixing in the set, which yeah. there's going to have to be fixing of some nature um, to go along with it. And then trying to hopefully not draft the same thing that somebody else is drafting mm-hmm. just sets sets my brain on spin. So I'm I'm 100% sure Wizards has it covered, but the little niggling part at the back of my mind is saying, sit, sit back and wait previews because yeah. making any comment on it now is going to be devastating. You can't say that it's going to be shipped because it's likely going to be really bloody cool. But hesitant.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is obviously where they're going to reprint fetch lands. We need that mana fixing, right?
1: We do. That will be interesting because if they do, we will face an age old problem of amount of product shipped slash printed, versus demand, versus hawkers. He is. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. That's that's why Wizards hasn't reprinted fetchlands in a standard yet, because, A, the secondary market that they don't care about, they kind of do it a little way. Mm. Um, they know that the secondary market would jump on any set like that. We did have that with some guilds, the, the guild's uh, painlands, the... the
0: yeah, the, the shark lands.
1: So, I mean, those lands are still fetching about 10 bucks each, which is bloody amazing, considering. Mm. Um, and there was a shortage of product at one point because we had a whole peep, a heap of scalpers buying up boxes. And the general public wasn't able to get in on that before those scalpers did. So there was a shortage of boxes at one point. And wizards had to reprint and everyone had to wait. Not unlike the recent Brawl decks. Yeah. Everyone, please bear that in mind because Arcane Signet, if you think the Brawl decks were bad, imagine it with the expensive Fetchlands. Imagine it with uh Scalding Tarn and Misty Rainforest and even Polluted Delta, which is only like, I think, $27 US. Those decks containing those cards would be a nightmare. Any set c- containing those cards are usually Master sets. Also a nightmare, less of a nightmare. 2017 Modern Masters sold out real quick, was hard to get your hands on, was an expensive set. People still bought it up. I got a box from Wizards. Thanks, Wizards. Hashtag promoted, Uh, (laughs) sponsored. And the box that I had like four or five freaking, you know, uh, fetch lanes in it. It was ridiculous. Those prices haven't dropped (laughs) at all. They dropped for, like, two weeks, and then those prices went straight back up. Mm. Misty Rainforest returned to, like, almost $90. You know, Scalding Tarn is sitting over $100 at the moment. Yeah, Reprints didn't matter, but it drained the product, and that's a problem. So, in Ikoria, if they do fetch lanes, I have a feeling what they will be doing is not fetch lanes, but the slow fetch lanes that we've seen in old sets
0: how do, do how how do those differ?
1: Uh so the slow fetch lands come into play tapped.
0: Oh okay. So it it, it uses up one turn.
1: And then when it fetches a land, the land comes in tapped. Mm-hmm. Actually it's up two turns. Mm-hmm. Super slow mana fixing. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm sure they have the policy of a functional reprints, so I doubt we will see like a rainy rainforest instead of a misty rainforest. <laughs> um, but that would be another route that they could do, because obviously the the original misty rainforest is the big bucks one. But this this rainy rainforest, it's never going to be worth as much. So let's print
1: that one. Exactly, it makes sense to to do a card that is tap the scatter card to create a manner of whatever color, right? It also makes sense to tap and sacrifice a quote-unquote fetch land and take two damage, but also have to discard a card from your hand, so you're losing two cards, to get, you know, a, a, any land into play, or any mountain or any swamp, etc. So, there are ways that they can do it, it just depends on how wizards want to do it, because they've, if they're going to do a functional reprint, they need to make it bad enough that, you know, people aren't going to be clamoring for it, but it's going to work well enough in that situation of a particular draft format that it doesn't feel overwhelmingly powerful.
0: What did you think about that one mystery booster land? Um, Trying to find it here, but there was that one land that would give you a poison counter every time you
1: tapped it. Something like that. Mm. I, I imagine that if you're doing a commander set, you make it commander damage. So mm. it it pretends as though it's commander damage. Would be a big enough incentive to A, use it, and B, not use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but again, it depends on if they're making these cards also legal for an older format. They have to take that into consideration. So having it be poison sounds like a pretty cool trick to have it do, uh, especially if there are other cards that also caused poison would make sense. Whether they would do that, like, on a fetch land, it's not going to really be good enough. Um, on a normal land, they would do it, but is that going to be good enough? Because then you don't have a way to fetch that land out. So you still don't have mana fixing.
0: Hmm. So
1: the, the problem with mana fixing is you're looking at two things. You're looking at something I can put into play that, that creates the mana I need. And you have something that can come into play that I can use to go and search for X land to put into play so I can make my play. Mm-hmm. And that's the two problems that we have at the moment. So I, I personally don't think that they would go too far into the realm of something highly playable because they've got to take into account, say pioneer modern. I mean, I assume that they'll just go, well, this isn't a standard set Um, because I haven't read up on whether this is supposed to be a standard set. I don't believe it was supposed to be a standard set. I believe it's supposed to be centered around actual commander, mm-hmm. but then they have to look at what formats that's going to be legal in.
0: Well, with arcane arcane signet, they that's standard legal in Eldraine technically, but obviously doesn't matter. It's not in regular boosters, and it doesn't matter if you're playing it in a regular standard because it references Commander. Do you think they might do something like that? Some lands that are only relevant in in Commander.
1: I absolutely believe that that will be the case. Having having let's say a fetch land that says that you can only fetch a land card that's in your commander's color identity. And you could even print that as uncommon, mm. and that would be fine, because you're seeing it more often in boosters, it's only playable in- when you're playing with a commander. That sounds to me like a win-win. Mm. It also drives commander players to go and find foil copies, because we all know that <laughs> you know a large portion of the commander community love having their bling. Um, I don't particularly care about foils myself. Mm -hmm. Um, They may make it a rare just because they don't want it showing up that often. I don't think that's the case. I think that they know if there needs to be mana fixing for 3-plus color commanders in Ikoria, that they will absolutely have it at an uncommon um, because Mm -hmm. it has enough of a drawback and is only available to commander players, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It only does stuff in commander. So, I mean, more stuff based around only if you are playing Commander, makes a hell of a lot more sense than making it, you know, uh, some sort of, like, massive drawback Mm -hmm. that can be gotten around in, let's say, Dredge.
0: Sure. Did you notice that there were a few cards in the Brawl pre-cons that tried to mention, like, multiple players? Um, What about that sort of route, like, fetch a land if you've got two or more opponents, you know, something like that.
1: I think that's a possibility. Uh, if we have a look at Battle Bond, which was oh yeah, also a really nice set. Was that 2019 Battle Bond? No, I think that was 18. Mm-hmm. Such a great set. Um, if you look at Battle Bond and their uh, their multiland, I'm going to call them mm-hmm. the, the multiplayer lands, the lands that up to untapped when they came into play. If you had two or more players, yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine having a land that says tap and sacrifice this land if you have More two or more opponents go searching for uh insert land type here put into battlefield untapped, right? Mm -hmm. Or tap and sacrifice this land, go searching for X land type, put it into play tapped. If you have two or more players like opponents, untap that land would make a lot more sense at com uh, at an uncommon because then you're still being able to introduce it into other formats if you wanted to. But it's going to be two in those formats, which means people are going to go, this is a great card for Commander and for multiplayer. Plus, it means that you can actually put it in, uh, like, two-headed giant drafts as well, if you were doing a chaos-two-headed giant, which sounds amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, uh, I think we solved it for Wizards, so hopefully we'll get our royalty check once uh, those are published.
1: (laughs) Plausible deniability, right? (laughs) Yes. They probably already thought about this, for sure.
0: Yes, I'm sure they, from what I understand, they plan their products years in advance, so I guess we're going to owe them royalties. Whoops. <laughs> but as we wind down the discussion then on these cards, I guess um, one good thing about the underpowered uh, Commander 2019 is I guess we get at least another printing of Soul Ring.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we always need those. <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> For the completest, they need to get all the copies, you know, C-19. You still have the C-18. You still have the soul Ring with C-18 in the corner. That's so passe. I've got one with C-19, and it's foil.
1: <laughs> I I have my one from Magic Fest, so, you know, it's foil. Yeah. It's pretty, and it's got some amazing art on it.
0: Yeah, that was the one by classic vintage artist uh, Mark Tedin, isn't it? I believe it's a tetan, yeah. Yeah, I just pulled it up right here and it's just, you know, we're talking about old school classic artists and here's mm-hmm. one of the oldest schoolist classicist artists around.
1: And this is this is actually this goes back to the start of the conversation is that this art is an updated art, let's say, where it looks like more modern art, but it still has that amazing fantasy feel to it. Mhm. Just such a pretty ring.
0: Yeah, it it reminds me of like a Kaladesh invention-ish, the little bit of the art there. And then that uh, little piece of the sun or whatever right in the middle of the contraptions. So Mm -hmm. cool that it's off center as well. And I'm glad they were able to bring back a classic artist. Did you notice Mark Poole was doing lands in uh, Dominaria?
1: I did. I did.
0: So I'm waiting for Phil and Foglio to come back and do art in Ikoria.
1: <laughs> Let's hope so.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to do. I want to see another another cool land from them. Remember, um, what was it called in Fallen Empires? The land that gave you any color, but then you passed it to your opponent. Something oh, rainbow, rainbow bridge, or something Fallen like that. Fallen Empires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of favorite cards, uh, what were some favorite cards from 2019 that, uh, ring a bell?
1: Uh that's, that's an interesting one. Um, to be honest, I didn't really have any, uh, I wish I did. I could tell you Oko, but that's not true. That was my <laughs> most hated card of 2019. <laughs> um, Fires of Invention's probably the closest to my favorite card just because of the, the unbelievable shenanigans.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh that the deck the the, the the deck itself is built around, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to build it. Um I think Command Command the Dreadhorde, I think it's called, is another one, the black one. Yeah. Um, Steal Everything <laughs> from Graveyards. Yeah, playing playing that in uh in pre release weekend with The Wanderer mm-hmm. was hilarious. <laughs> when I resurrected both players Uh, pretty much their entire graveyards myself and my opponents and took no damage from it and my opponent just scooped (laughs) just like oh you don't take any damage from that no I don't scoop (laughs) yeah that's fair
0: (laughs) that's a nice combo there that's again, but the, the static abilities of these planeswalkers, like uh, you can really kind of warp things in interesting ways. Like uh, I know that I got uh Narseted several times trying to go draw a <laughs> card and my opponent's Narset just glowed and smiled at me like, nope, you can't do that.
1: Sure, you can you can attempt to draw a card, but you won't get it. Sorry.
0: And that even shuts down the, the uh, like Fabled Passage and such,
1: doesn't it? Uh, I don't think it shuts down Fable Passage because it's not a draw effect. I think you mean the the fetch effect from... um... Oh, which one was it? Brain is not working.
0: Eventually all the cards meld together.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Especially this year. I mean, this year... I I think because my brain so dislikes (laughs) um, that I mean, again, going back to bits and pieces like... Fires of, Inve- of Invention was pretty cool. Uh, it's on the top end of that list in Eldraine. Um, I think that the... The the avatars... Not the avatars. What are they called? Cavaliers. The Cavaliers were pretty cool from M20. Uh, I think that they were a, a, definitely a win uh, for the most part. Hmm. Um, from War of the Spark, probably... I mean, again, going back to all the Planeswalkers, Bolas was really cool... Um but I think the card that out of war that really takes the cake for me has got to be the Ral Zarek uh rare planeswalker mm-hmm. which is really good when that whenever you play an instant or sorcery deal of damage um, mm-hmm. because I'm a bit of uh an Izzet player mm-hmm. so that was good.
0: Well, what did you think about the the Will and Rowan planeswalker card?
1: Not uh... oh, great. <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but it certainly felt like wizards trying to pull back a bit from the gross stuff <laughs> that they'd known in the past that they unleashed um, themselves yeah i I think that they kind of kind of made it more around like, hey, well, you know you're either gonna be drawing cards or you're gonna be attacking with creatures, so we want like this whole is it deck to be. You know, a bit more of a stumpy deck it's like well that doesn't work that well and it didn't really find its place except in like fire's decks which doesn't make bloody sense at all because hmm. it's just draw a card to a card and then when you're big enough like try and shoot your opponent in the face so i just don't think that the royal signs really made it to where we wanted them to make it
0: mm-hmm. and in eldraine there was will and rowan there was Oko, and there was garrick uh, the mm-hmm. third planeswalker. Any thoughts on the third planeswalker in Eldraine?
1: Garrick's the middle planeswalker, like the middle child. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for bringing back everyone's favorite incel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's crazy because he's got a pile of a head drawn in his head, and oh, now it's gone, so now he's not killing planeswalkers, apparently, <laughs> or something. I really lost track of his story because he is just the most bland Big ass, I'm just going to kill things with my big axe kind of dude. <laughs> um, he was fine. He found some some use in uh, Golgari decks for a while. Um, looked better than he is. Uh, I have a copy sitting here on my table. I haven't even incorporated it in any of my Commander decks just because he's expensive and he's big, but mm. he's not great. And there's plenty of other cards that are better. Sure. I just feel like... Garrick, flavor-wise, hit the flavor of previous Garricks, but just wasn't good enough in current standard to make its mark.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's still interesting, though, how they can push to different design spaces. You know, the classic command uh, the classic planeswalkers, there's a plus one that does something, and a minus that does something, and then the ultimate, and this one's all minuses. It's got the zero to make more, more uh, wolves. And the other way to plus him naturally as if his own wolves die so i think it's kind of interesting that they're going through this these different design routes but yeah kind of an expensive walker to get out and unless you're really building a shell around them and it's like well why are you doing that if you could be doing other golgari shenanigans um interesting but maybe not a home run
1: exactly
0: I think one of the cards that I liked was Bolus's Citadel, but I'm liking it more now that we've got uh, Grey Merchant of Asphodel back in standard. <laughs> uh, so I'm kind of cheating on my pick there, because I didn't use um, Bolus' Citadel a-, a lot in 2019, but I'm really liking the mono-black uh, devotion in the current standard, which segues us into Theros Beyond Death is where we're currently at. General thoughts on that latest and greatest return to a plane.
1: Extremely powerful limited, um, you have to know what you're building around Mm -hmm. three color is actually really good Hmm. Um, Sure, there's not much fixing but uh, Using like the white uh, the white enchantment eyes What's it called eyes do I have it hanging around somewhere? Did I? put it somewhere else the one that gets
0: you a planes know. or the saga or no, something it's
1: it's the one that gives plus one, plus one and vigilance to a creature for one white is amazing. It also has uh what's it called? Um, Beyond Death. Damn it. Afterlife? No. Um, Escape. Comes back Escape. It escapes from the graveyard for two cards and I think one white or one white one color, something like that. Um and comes back on your creature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's very hard to get rid of unless your opponent's, like, getting stuff out of your graveyard, which there's a lot of graveyard hate, but Mm -hmm. few and far between, sorry. I think escape is undersold on how good it is. A lot of people are like, yeah, it's fine, but it's not amazing. It's like, no, well, you're not looking at the right cards. Um, Being able to play... a lot of like decent blue stuff, like there's an enchantment creature that bounces enchantment creatures or it bounces enchantments back to your hand during your upkeep, so you can restit stuff and replay them for extra value. Um, you've got Thassa who's tha- sorry Thassa who's like really bloody good um, in standard uh, and constructed and is going to be pretty cool in Commando but not so great in limited. Um, you have Erebus which is just really good Either way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you have, of course, Heliod, which I've won multiple games with in Limited because Heliod is straight up busted. Yeah.
0: Even without Walking Ballista.
1: Exactly. The ability to gain life and stuff between your three-color deck going blue, white, green is just real good. It's just real good. Mm-hmm. But I think that this set has a lot of legs. Um, obviously, it's already changing the landscape of standard. Um I just wish that Eldraine didn't have the cat combo, sure. because that is still prevalent. Um, but the Modern Black Devotion deck has shied away from the cat combo. It did play it originally, now it doesn't, and I think it's a better deck for it. It's too slow against a lot of the aggro decks, mm. um, and it's really not good enough against the long play of you know the the longer decks in the format, the more combo orientated decks in the, combo- in the, the format. Cats beatable now, yeah. basically. Mm -hmm. um it's still a hard sell but we found better ways around it but i think that uh when it comes to beyond death this has probably been one of the most interesting sets they've brought out a while has some really cool commander pieces in it has some stuff in it that i wasn't expecting to see and we will definitely see where it goes from there um perforos is amazing perforos bronze blooded um, because it's basically sneak attack. Yeah. You've got uh, Underworld Breach, which is just absolutely broken. Um, and of course, you have uh, Canaris, the Hound of um, Athreos, which is the lock your graveyard down so you can't do anything, mm-hmm. which I think is super fun and flavorful, um, being the hounds of hell and being a three-headed good doggo. So yes. I'm, I'm really excited about what this set brings to Commander, to be honest, more than anything.
0: hmm I just played earlier some arena, and someone was living that Porphyros dream come true because they were able to sneak attack in Dracuseth and um, uh, the other... I was playing uh, Historic, so it was, uh, mm. I guess, the Volcanic Dragon, that one four four 4-4 flyer with haste. Yep. That's so, the yep, they suddenly had all the devotion, and they had the god uh, come to life, and they had Dracuseth attacking with haste, and then the 4-4 dragon as well and they had emptied out their hand and it was gg because that's mm. that's exactly what that deck wants to do
1: that's it especially when you can drop like a battle pig and then just put a creature into a place after <laughs> attacking it's like ah, oh, i'm screwed yes. or multiple activations of perforus as well it's like yeah oh that's a big dragon and it shoots my everything for what oh i'm just yeah. gonna take a lot of damage here aren't i <laughs>
0: Uh, the creatures and me right in the face. So mm-hmm. uh, for its original mana outlay, it's not that much of a problem, but when you can pseudo sneak attack it in, it's a big problem.
1: Exactly. Like, yeah, sure. It's more overcosted on both angles than sneak attack, but having a sneak attack effect on a commander yeah. is massive. Having a sneak attack in standard and historic and... You know all that kind of stuff and even in brawl it is pretty out there it's pretty far out to believe that we have a card like that which is not a broken card by any means but extremely good and if you're not prepared for it you are going to be run over there is no winning against that card when it's online yeah. if you don't know what you're doing
0: i'm seeing more people use these gods in brawl decks so I think that's already starting to, to see some fun stuff happening there with these brand new cards that have just been out only a, f- a few weeks. Well, as we record the podcast, uh, we just had the release uh, here in the U.S., and when, the, when it releases, it's been out for one week. So I'm already seeing uh, changes. What do you think about these cards just being out so early, quote-unquote early, in this digital format
1: I think it's fine. A lot of people want to complain about it, just like, oh, but if it's out early, who's going to go and play paper? (laughs) That's not correct at all, because people who are playing digitally are still going to go in and play in paper. Um, I do believe that there is uh, a slight disparity between people playing online and people then going and playing in paper because they've been playing online But nothing's stopping you from playing online anyway, even if the set's not online. There are ways to do it. We know about that. It's always been like that. So you may as well just jump on Arena, like, you know, a couple of hours early or whatever. Get some practice in. Why not?
0: Mm -hmm. One thing that I noticed after playing lots of Arena and then playing in paper for the pre-releases is is that uh, there's no more hand-holding. you got to remember to be on your game and tap your own stuff and don't put it at 45 degrees.
1: Exactly. You have to remember how to play. <laughs> yes. Well, what does happen,
0: though, is I do miss like the amazing animations. Like uh, Speaking of Uro, uh, have you seen the animation for Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, when that comes I, out? In I
1: have. I absolutely have. It is pretty amazing. Uh, the same with like watching the, the other gods and stuff, the yeah. demigods and gods coming out. It's just like, oh, give me more of that. Oh, that's right. It's only digital. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, um, summoning Timorant uh, with his cool gold mask screaming at you in the game is pretty cool. I think I can do that in, <laughs> in person as well, although uh, my opponent will probably uh, scoop at that point and call the judge on me.
1: <laughs> yeah, you probably get kicked out of the shop. <laughs> yes.
0: So it's still early on Theros Beyond Death, but I think it's going to be pretty cool and a lot of pieces for Commander also and stuff for Brawl. And we've got a whole plate of stuff. Uh, what do you think about like the whole roadmap? Well, it, there's not a lot of detail, but what do you think about the whole roadmap already being revealed for 2020? Because we're going to get Ikoria, then we're going to get Corset you know, 2021, and uh, then Return to Return to Zendikar.
1: Pretty exciting. Um, We've got, there's a heap of Commander products coming out, so hopefully we snag another preview card, but, I mean, I'm excited about all the Commander stuff that I'm going to get my hands on by the end of the year, you know, there's going to be so much stuff, and yeah, it's a problem, but it's no worse than any other, you know, release or set, it's just, there's going to be more stuff for Commander players to, like, sink their teeth into, to, to attempt to afford, Yeah, you know, might need to sell off some of the... The awesome foils I've got sitting around in a folder, which is fine, you know,
0: or some of those uh, kidneys that are sitting around, perhaps.
1: Exactly a foil kidney. Um, <laughs> well, like to put that into perspective, um, I had three dual lands that I sold off just to attend the Prism Magic Fest. Huh? This is this is the start of the life of a commander player. Yeah. I I don't have spare copies of those dual lands. You know, they weren't super expensive and they were a bit damaged, but you know. It's one of those things of, like, if you want it hard enough, you're going to find ways to try and sure. pay for it if you can. Mm-hmm. Like, even uh, even I can't afford everything, and this year we're seeing everything. <laughs> There's yeah. going to be so much stuff coming out that I just I can't afford that I'm going to try and... You know self extra stuff and what i what am i not using in decks that's worth money and like yeah do i really need that you know xyz phyrexian whatever that's sitting in a folder that i've used in like one deck in the last you know 12 months yeah. um but I, I really am just pretty excited with all of the commander products coming out i love absolutely love playing magic playing Commander and, you know, getting the social aspect in and anything that gives me the chance to have more of that social aspect, like, just put it in my eyes, just shove it in there, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up for it, like, let's, <laughs> let's do it, let's smash some faces in with some Commander, you know, all this product coming around, I'm just, yeah, I'm pretty excited.
0: Yeah, we have to not forget the gathering part of Magic the Gathering, because it's not just about brewing some great decks in theory. It's about playing them. And the digital way to play is very convenient, of course. But playing with actual people and doing politics or just enjoying a drink and such with them and laughing and enjoying the camaraderie of it all, that's the part I think that I hope uh, people don't forget about.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day. If you're not having fun playing, why the hell are you playing?
0: Yeah, that's just like when people say, "Go into a job that you enjoy." You know, why are you going to be in a job that you don't want to be at just to pay the bills? Try to do something that you care about. So try to play a game that you care about that you enjoy. Or if you're not enjoying it, then yeah, what are you doing?
1: Exactly. If you're not enjoying it, take a bloody step back and reassess. Maybe take a break for a couple of months.
0: Hmm. Maybe play some other games that shall remain nameless that are about these monsters in your pocket, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> well, I guess we covered all of the topics we we were planning on. Any general thoughts on anything magic-related that you'd like to get off your chest?
1: I think we hit on pretty much most of this stuff. Um, yeah, uh, come, come read my articles at... Uh, pure mtgo.com as well where i freelance sometimes
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: other than that i think we're, we're good
0: so is that the main thing you want to promote at the moment what about any twitter or anything like that where else can we kind of hear your musings and such
1: sure you can find me uh on twitter at twitter.com forward slash cheshire plays uh again youtube.com forward slash cheshire plays games uh, yeah, just come follow me. I'm I'm easy to talk to for the most part. If you yell at me, I'll probably block you. <laughs> uh, you say anything disparaging, I'll probably block you. So as long as you're not a jerk, I'll probably like having a chat with you.
0: I think if uh, more people operated under that under that plan, it would pretty work. It would work out pretty well. Don't be a jerk online. Yeah, or offline
1: too. Don't be a jerk. It's it's uh, it's a pretty good line. It's a good one to have. mm
0: Hmm. So I'm on uh, Twitter as well, uh, twitter.com slash vmcampos. I've got my website, vmcampos.com. I'm on YouTube and Twitch. I stream on Saturdays, 11 p.m. Pacific time. So just find me there streaming, hanging out, playing some fun, jank stuff, trying to climb the ladder and oh i'm also on patreon patreon.com slash vm campos people can just follow on patreon for free and it alerts you to everything that i do i put a lot of free stuff there or if people want to pledge for a dollar you get some exclusive stuff if people pledge at two dollars i'll actually mail them a vintage magic card from my collection no not a black lotus and uh, that's one of the best places they can just keep up to date with me. Um, oh, and I just got on the hottest new uh, app right now. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's called Byte, B-Y-T-E.
1: I have heard about it.
0: So it's like Vine 2.0, and I've already made some dumb Bytes or Vines, whatever they're going to be called there. So that's another place where people can find me. VM Compos all over the place. So, Cheshire, thank you so much for being on the podcast again and uh, hope to have you again at another on another time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me and thanks for letting me ramble.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, the main stipulation of the podcast is we have to love magic, so you fit the criteria.
1: Damn right I love magic. All day, every day.
0: (laughs) This has been VM Campos and I'll see you in the arena.